This episode of the Productivity is Podcast is brought to you by the UCI Division of Continuing Education. You can advance your career in as little as six months thanks to the UCI Division of Continuing Education, and you can pay for a single course or enroll in an entire certificate program. There are so many things that you can do, and I have an offer for you that you can leverage to get 15% off of one course. I can't think of a better sponsor for this episode considering the topic, the subject matter, and the guest, and I can't wait to share that promo code for you, but it's going to happen during this episode which is about to start now. Welcome to the Productivity is Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Vardy. And this week on the show, I am having a conversation with somebody who I've wanted to have a conversation with for a long time. His name is Scott Young. And Scott is a fellow Canadian. He is in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, just a ferry ride or a short plane ride away. Scott's a writer who undertakes interesting self-education projects, such as attempting to learn MIT's four-year computer science curriculum in 12 months and learning four languages in one year, which makes him qualified for this book that he's got called Ultra Learning, Master Hard Skills, Outsmart the Competition, and Accelerate Your Career. We cover the gamut during this uh, episode. We talk about the, the different things that you need to do in order to become an ultra learner. We talk about our common interests in productivity and time management. It's a really great discussion and I'm, I'm really happy I'm able to bring it to you today. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Scott Young here on the Productivityist Podcast. Enjoy. I'd like to welcome Scott Young to the Productivityist Podcast. Scott, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. So uh, what's been great about this whole opportunity to kind of before, like just before we got on the call, uh, like the recording was, we had a chance to get to know each other. And again, this isn't the first time this has happened, but two Canadians sharing, yeah, sharing yeah, a podcast no, and, today. And really close together too, because you're in Victoria and I'm in Vancouver. So yeah, you're literally the closest guest that I've had <laughs> on the show that has not been in my actual uh, office recording mm-hmm. with me. I think Paul Jarvis has been like the closest and that's about it. Cause he's, he's even closer. So yeah, I, I, I want to dig in to, uh, to the the new book that you've got coming out and it's called ultra learning and, and, Mm -hmm. and right out of the gate, people are going to say, okay, what is that? So (laughs) I know you're going to get this question a lot. What is ultra learning and why is it important that people know what it is and dig into it a little bit more? Absolutely. Well, ultra learning has been a huge focus in my life for the last 10 years. So I'm happy to answer that. Um, so on the one hand, I would def- define it as just by a definition, ultra learning is a strategy for learning that's both self-directed and aggressive. And so self-directed means that you're the one kind of planning the project, deciding what materials to use and how you're going about it, as opposed to kind of this formal structured education where someone else is telling you what to learn and why. And then aggressive means that I'm focusing on strategies that are aimed at getting results, but they can sometimes be a little bit uncomfortable at first or a little bit difficult at first. And so this is for people who really want to learn well and uh, want to understand how to do it. And the genesis of this idea wasn't really coming up with this definition, but just encountering all these really fascinating stories of people who have accomplished like some really truly incredible things by applying this strategy for learning. So we have people like Tristan de Montebello, who I talk about in the book, who in seven months went from having near zero public speaking experience to being a finalist for the world champion of public speaking. Uh, Eric Barone, who spent five years mastering every aspect of video game development to release a best 
best-selling video game where he sold millions of copies. And people even like Nigel Richards, who won the French World Scrabble Championship without speaking French. So there's a lot of really interesting stories in the book, and I'm hoping that it's going to inspire some people to try thinking about things a little differently in the projects they want to undertake. So the the term just-in-time learning has come around many, many times when it comes to people who right. want to kind of dig into, like they want to just adopt something. Would, mm-hmm. What is... How does someone go from that to ultra learning? Because I think that that, that would almost be uh, the, and you talk about experimentation mm-hmm. in the book. So I'm almost yeah. wondering is, is it, when someone is trying, like say, so for example, I'll use myself as an example. I'm mm-hmm. starting to do chalkboard lettering because okay. uh, with the time crafting branding that I'm working on mm-hmm. and stuff like that, I think that that's going to bode much better for me than to you say whiteboard. So I'm like, this is something mm-hmm. that I want to be identifiable with. I've gone to Michael's superstore, <laughs> like all the chalkboard <laughs> stuff. I've bought yeah. books. Um, and, and so what, what is the difference between just in time learning and, and ultra learning? And, and also can it be the seeds for, uh, that can just in time learning be the seed for ultra learning? And if maybe you have some examples of someone who said, Hey, I just want to learn this quickly. And Oh my goodness, I'm going to, this is something I'm really fascinated mm-hmm. by. Let me go in deeper. Right. Right. Well, yeah, there's lots of examples of that. So I think if I understand you correctly, like the just in time philosophy for learning is, you know, don't just learn a bunch of stuff in kind of an abstract preparatory way. You just go in, you do the thing you want to learn or you do the thing you want to do and then you learn stuff along the way. So a lot of entrepreneurs, for instance, yeah, Yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs, for instance, that's how their business operates is, you know, they're not learning a bunch of stuff just in case they need it. They're learning it. "Ah, I need to learn this now. Let's master it. And so ultra learning, I think, has some similarities to that because one of the main principles I focus on I call directness and this draws on this huge literature called the problem of transfer literature and educational psychology which just shows that we don't actually use a lot of the stuff we learn in school not because it's sort of intrinsically useless but because we're not able to transfer it to situations where it matters and so the ultra learning philosophy really does start with doing and so I think it shares that commonality with the just in time learning I would say that the sort of maybe kind of slight philosophical departure the way that I I see it a little bit differently is that often if you really want to master hard skills, so if you want to get, let's say, you know, you've never programmed anything before, then you know, programming a machine learning algorithm is just not something you're even going to be thinking about. Or similarly, if you don't know any other language, you're not going to go to another country and deliver a speech in that language. And so I do think there's value in learning things that don't necessarily mean like it's forced on you that you have to learn it for this particular goal. But in the same sense, I'm very focused on this kind of practical nature of learning skills that are useful and learning skills that you're going to be applying and working with rather than just learning knowledge inertly so that it will just be a bunch of memorized facts. What was the first thing that you found yourself ultra learning, would you say? Well, so I've I've kind of had some exposure to learning things on and off here and there, but my first big project was uh, the MIT challenge. So this was probably also the one that I'm most well known for now, but this is right after I graduated from university. I did a project to learn MIT's computer science curriculum. So it's a four-year, normally a four-year computer science curriculum, lots of classes, like 33 classes. And I approached it by, instead of going to classes or going to actual MIT classes, I used their free online resources to try to pass the final exams and complete the programming projects over a period of 12 months. So I documented that a lot on my blog, and then that kind of opened me up to doing other projects, um, like learning languages and drawing skills and cognitive science and quantum physics and writing and more and more. So 
time is obviously a factor when it comes mm-hmm. to this kind of thing. So we're on a time management and <laughs> productivity <laughs> podcast. Yes, so someone's listening to this now going, you know, they hear the idea of, you know, as they go through the book, there's, you know, the different principles, which I definitely mm-hmm. want you to get to. But let's start from the idea of someone is interested in going deep and ultra learning, like they want mm-hmm. to get into that. How does one get past that barrier or that bias of I, there's no way I can make time for this? Well, so I think one of the misconceptions is that when I was picking stories for the book, I obviously wanted to pick ones that, you know, were the most engaging and inspiring. And so often that just biases you towards picking people that accomplished something really intense in like at a very short time period because they were working crazy hours on it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that that can work certainly for certain types of projects. But it is not the case that if you look through the research on learning of cognitive science, that it's beneficial necessarily to, you know, well, you have to be working 10 hours a day on studying this. Otherwise, you know, you're not an ultra learner and you're not doing it effectively. In fact, there's actually research that points the opposite direction, that if you spread things out over more time, you can improve your memory for certain things. And so what I really try to focus on when I talk about ultra learning is not so much, you know, are you spending 60 hours a week doing this because you can spend, you know, 20 minutes a week doing it. It's just, what are you doing with those 20 minutes? And I think you probably encounter Mm -hmm. this with your, your own listeners and readers that, you know, productivity is not just about, well, I'm working 80 hour work weeks. So therefore I'm a productive. It's what are you doing with those hours? What are you doing with the limited time you have available and how can you make it more effective? And so ultra learning is really just a constellation of different scientific findings and sort of best practices that point in the direction of something somewhat harder being much more effective. And so the ultra learner is the person who is going to do that hard thing, even if it's a little bit more uncomfortable um, and get that result rather than someone who's going to do some sort of easy thing that isn't going to make much progress. So as I go through the book, there are nine principles to ultra mm-hmm. learning. I'm not going to ask you to reveal them because I want you to buy the <laughs> no, book. No, you can you can talk but, about. Well, them. no, it's but fine. I want I actually want to know which yeah, yeah. one is the one that you found personally, or that you find maybe that mm-hmm. others have found to be the most challenging of those principles to adhere to and stick with. Ooh, most challenging. Well, I will say this: that I think that the principle, I'll reword your question slightly, that the one that I think people mess up the most, Mm -hmm. and I I will list two. So I'll give you, I'll give you two instead of one. So the first one is what I call directness. And so the opposite of directness is kind of our stereotype of how learning works. So if you ask someone, what do you think about learning? They think of sitting in a classroom and reading a book and listening to a lecture. That's what learning is. And I wanted with this book to really flip that perception, because if you look at the research on learning, it's clear that the activity that's most beneficial to improve is something closer to practice. So instead of thinking about classrooms, think apprenticeship, think actually doing the thing that you want to learn. And so directness is this idea that the lower uh, lower distance you have to transfer the knowledge. So transfer means you are taking an idea from one context, say the classroom, and you're applying it in another context, say real life. The lower that distance is, meaning that the activity you're doing when you're learning is more similar to the activity you're gonna be actually using it for, there's less transfer problems and people will learn more effectively. So this is a major problem I think with a lot of learning efforts is that you learn in this way that you don't really practice all those tiny little skills that you need to actually be able to do the activity and then you're sort of disappointed that you didn't learn as much as you thought. So that would be one. The second one I would talk about, which again is something that I think is underused is what's known as retrieval. 
really fascinating study done by Jeffrey Karpicki and Janelle Blunt. And basically they divided uh, students up into groups. And one of the groups, they got them to do repeated review for studying, meaning that they gave them a text and then they just got them to read it over and over and over again until they mastered it. And then the other group, they got to do free recall, which meant that they read it and then they closed the book. And then on a blank piece of paper, they tried to write out everything they could remember from that text. And the interesting thing about this is that right after they did this study, uh, after they did the studying, they asked the participants how well they think they had learned the information. And it wasn't even close. The people who did repeated reviews said, I learned the material the best. And the people who did free recall said, oh, wow, this is really hard. Like, I, I can't do this. And the funny thing is that when you actually test them, you get the opposite pattern. So the people who do free recall score much better than those who do repeated review. And it's so funny because when you look at students and how they typically study, what do they do? They do repeated review. They look over their notes again and again and again, trying to memorize it when what they really should be doing is something closer to free recall. Now, this applies to a lot more than just students, but retrieval is also, again, one of those principles that I think is not that commonly applied. And it fits into this kind of picture of ultra learning of doing something slightly harder in this case, recall, uh, to get much more effective results. Now, what I love about as you go through the principles in the book is there are several tactical approaches you can take for, for within these principles, mm -hmm. right? I, I found that really important because I think what happens, and I want you to speak to this for sure, yeah. for sure, is that when people hear about things like, like, I'm not gonna, yeah, I don't think you put ultra learning in a box, but when they hear, yeah. you know, like, oh, this is like, this is intense, right? Therefore, mm -hmm. there must be only one path. You've provided several paths for people to, you know, kind of work within these principles, right? And, and why did you feel that that was important to, to illustrate? So it's actually the opposite. So when I was, oh, okay. the, as I said, again, <laughs> the genesis of this book the genesis of this book was um, was that I was interviewing these ultra learners and kind of like, as you said, there isn't one approach to doing this. So the reason I had to do it with principles is just because, you know, if you look at learning tennis or violin or quantum physics, there are going to be some similarities. But if I broke it down into step one, get this book, mm. step two, read this it's going to be wrong or it's going to be so complicated or abstract it's going to be difficult to apply. So the right way I wanted people to think about learning is, look, these are some general principles that are nearly always true. Uh, sometimes they trade off against each other and you have to make balances. But for the most part, they work together towards an effective approach for learning. And then here's some tactics. Here's some ways to start thinking about applying it. And yeah, sometimes those tactics will work really well for quantum physics and not so well for tennis, but that's okay. And so for me, Studying these people who are the ultra learners is really like what you said, that there's just a lot of different varied methods. There's even within the ultra learners, I say there's different like camps. So there's there's groups of people, for instance, they're like super into mnemonics and, and that as a strategy for learning. And then there's other people who are like really into space repetition systems. And there's other people who, you know, they eschew all of those things and they focus on other methods. And so it was really interesting for me to see how all these different approaches simultaneously applied the same principles, but also showed that, you know, this isn't a one size fits all endeavor. It's really just about how you can get equipped with the tools to do things your own way and do it more effectively. So it's definitely not just one way to do everything. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat 
helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. It's time to take a break from this discussion I'm having with Scott to talk about our sponsor, a very fitting sponsor for this episode of the podcast, the UCI Division of Continuing Education. Now, the University of California Irvine Division of Continuing Education, or DCE, was established in 1962 and has served the lifelong learning, very key point, and career development needs of individuals, organizations, and the community on a local, regional, and global scale. Now, That is really, really important because no matter where you are, you can take advantage of what the UCI Division of Continuing Education has to offer. There's courses and certifications taught by industry practitioners in a wide range of categories from business and leadership to tech to law and human resources, so much more. 60 convenient certificates and specialized studies programs on campus and online designed for the working professional. And again, Considering what Scott and I have been talking about and the fact that he is into ultra learning, the UCI Division of Continuing Education is a great place for you to become an ultra learner or to live up to that ultra learning uh, uh, development or, or mantra that you want to adhere to. The UCI Continuing Education programs can help you gain an edge in your career. You can make a career transition with them or it simply help you become more knowledgeable providing you with the flexibility to stay on top of your game in your current role while preparing you to level up. And there's open enrollment, which means there's no applications to complete. You can just log in and sign up and you can pay for a single course or enroll in an entire certificate program, depending on how much ultra learning you want to do. And you have full control over your academic plan. And Advance your career in as little as six months. The 100% online courses offer convenience and flexibility. I'm big on both of those, especially when you talk about time management and productivity. And they offer a real immersive online classroom experience, which will help you with that ultra learning. And you can even have collaboration with your peers and work with other people who are ultra learning as well. I don't want you to miss out on this offer. This is a perfect place for uh, this sponsor, the UCI division of continuing education to be because the fall quarter is coming up. And if you want to be an ultra learner, registration is open now. You just need to visit ce.uci.edu slash productivityist and then enter the promo code timecrafting and you'll get 15% off of one course. So once again, that's ce.uci.edu slash productivityist and then enter the promo code timecrafting to get 15% off of one course. You're going to want to do this soon. If you're listening to this as the episode drops, you got plenty of time. But if not, the offer is only valid until December 31st, 2019 at 11.59 p.m. So start that ultra learning today and take advantage of this offer that the UCI Division of Continuing Education is providing to Productivity's podcast listeners like you. I'd like to thank the UCI Division of Continuing Education for sponsoring this episode of the program. Now let's get back to the show. Let's shift back to the principles again really quickly to discuss maybe Mm -hmm. the one that seems to be, and I know you've listed that there there are listed in order, but which one is kind of like the, almost the springboard or the gateway where people have, 
maybe not the aha moment, but mm-hmm. some of those biases that they might be facing, uh, they 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 are just strong there. That you can kind of break that bias, those biases to a certain right, degree. right. Well, I think all of them are important, and I think I just mentioned uh, two of them: this yep. directness and retrieval. That I thought like those are definitely examples where you know I was even digging through the research, and I even guessed wrong when I thought what the outcome of some of these experiments would be. And so for me, I think. The springboard, the starting point is the first principle, which I call meta learning. So for those of you who have not are not too familiar, meta is usually a, a prefix that describes when something is about itself. So meta learning is just kind of a fancy way of saying learning how to learn. And in this case, one of the things that's important is that for many of us, we spend our whole lives going through formal education where someone makes all the decisions for us. And Mm. so when you start doing a self-education project or you start doing something where you're the one kind of in charge and dictating things, it can be kind of scary because you're like, well, I have no idea how to learn this. Everyone's always been just telling me what to do. And I don't really know how to learn or figure these things out on my own. And so meta learning is this sort of approach to researching the skill in question. So, you know, you can spend a couple hours Googling what's the best way to learn it. You can start to identify obstacles, resources, materials, and that kind of little bit of investment can often pay huge dividends. So if you want to learn to program and you just pick up the first book you find, uh, you may get a really good book, but you may also learn something that's not that relevant to what you want to do. Whereas if you spend a couple hours just looking online, what, what are the different ways to learn to program? What are the different things that I can apply it towards? You start to get this map. And when you build out the map, it becomes much, much easier to chart your trajectory in the thing that you want to learn well then you go to principle two which is i think the thing that keeps you from just Mm. getting paralyzed by all the ways that you could do these things and 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 you know it that's that's focus right and and, um Mm -hmm. i've I've chatted with chris bailey on the show before again another canadian who's got (laughs) hyper focus um and he folk he pun totally intended focused on focus in his his most recent book what Mm. why I think that's going to be a pain point for a lot of people because we mm-hmm. live in this world of speed and distraction, right? Where everything is ha- right. happening a mile a minute. So to be able to kind of slow down and, and kind of, you know, gain some sense of of clarity and focus, even awareness is is challenging. You, you've offered some insights in the book and I don't want to, again, I don't want to give too many things <laughs> away, but what is... What is one thing that you've tried to do you maybe in, in when it comes to ultra mm-hmm. learning and you realize that the focus just wasn't there and why wasn't it there? So I think that can happen quite commonly. And I talk, I sort of break down problems of focus into three different types of problems. So the first would be when you fail to get started. Mm. So that's procrastination. The other is when you fail to continue focusing, which would be getting distracted or interrupted. And then the third is not maintaining the right quality of focus. So this can happen when you are focusing really intensely on a hard problem and you just can't seem to make breakthroughs. And there's some interesting research about how the intensity of focus and the type of focus can relate to the type of thing you're learning. So I thought that was very fascinating digging into the research. But obviously, when it comes to procrastination and distraction, it's a lot of it's about engineering your environment. And I think a lot of it is also has to do with how you set up your motivation before you go into the project. So for me, I found that the projects that I've done best on are those that I really did my preparation. I really like mentally prepared for the task before I went into it. And it was something I started to get obsessive over before I started the ultra learning project. Whereas I've done projects where I've been kind of lukewarm about them. I've been like, yeah, you know, I should probably do something like this. And maybe I'll put in a little bit of time and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, two weeks later, you're bored and you want to give up. 
And so one of the things, ironically, I find that's really helpful for focusing is this sort of athlete's tool of mentally visualizing and preparing for the activity. So if you're going to try to approach something this way, I think it's important to get yourself in the right mindset, because while this approach to ultra learning can be sometimes a little bit difficult and a little bit intense, it's also really valuable if you can pull it off. So if you can actually go through with it, you can accomplish some really impressive things. And so just like, you know, if you're going to run a you know, a marathon or something, you want to prepare ahead of time. Because if you just went out tomorrow and said, okay, I'm going to run a marathon, you probably wouldn't get two miles before you started getting winded. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you prepared for it, you could run it. And a lot of that is that mental game. So the the other approaches I talk about in the book are, are just about how do you deal with the sort of psychological aspect of procrastination? So how do you deal with when something is frustrating or unpleasant for you? How do you get started with it? Or how do you prevent getting distracted? And how do you maintain your focus? So let's let's shift back to the the thought of when you've been doing ultra learning. So I, I want to get into this right. a little bit is, you know, you, you dig in, you go through the principles, you're spending time mm-hmm. in there. Have you found and, and maybe in the book as well, but personally or through examples where you get to a point where you're like, you know what, this is just not worth learning anymore. I think that the, I think there's got to be maybe there isn't, but I would imagine that there's a point. It's kind of like, you know, when you're working on a project and you realize that, oh, this is maybe not the right project for me to be working on or something like that. Do you, have you have you found that? Yeah. Did you find? And so, if so what what mm-hmm. what stage does that has does that tend to happen? Because I think that can vary, too. Yeah. Right. Well, so the first thing I would say is that my experience doing these projects is usually the opposite because I find once you start to make real progress, you also start to realize, oh, wow, and then I could also learn this and learn that. So I find that curiosity tends to be a positive feedback loop. So when you get some excitement about something. So for instance, if you start learning another language like Spanish, maybe you have this idea that, oh, I'd like to travel to Spain and have some conversations. But once you start getting a little good at it, you get that positive reinforcement that, oh, wow, your Spanish is pretty good. Now maybe you want to watch movies or you want to go to other Spanish speaking countries or you want to, you know, really improve your ability. So I do often find that it's, it's often like that. Now to your point though, there's definitely been times where I've set up projects and because I set it up the wrong way and I had the wrong focus, it didn't get the results I wanted. And so a good way to avoid that is to apply these kinds of principles. So a project that it was actually kind of interesting is that I started out with this project that I wanted to learn about cognitive science. And I thought, well, I'll go off of this reading list. So there was this um, reading list that the University of San Diego, their cognitive science graduate program put as their like, if you didn't do an undergrad in cognitive science, read these like 30 books. And that would give you like a good grounding to, uh, you know, help you do the grad program. And I started with that reading list and I was playing around with it. And I started to realize that this isn't actually what I cared about. And this isn't really what I cared about applying, that it had a lot of stuff that didn't really interest me. And so what it eventually evolved into is writing this book was an opportunity for me to explore the cognitive science. But again, now as it pertained to learning, as it pertained to these practical things, and I got a lot further with it. So often the reason that a project does work out is because you haven't really tuned it exactly to the goals that you set. And so that's a big part of the ultra learning process is doing that prep, doing that research, doing that kind of alignment to make sure that the thing you're learning really fits with uh, what actually motivates you. That's 
I was hoping you were going to get to that. <laughs> I was hoping you're gonna, because I think I think it's true. I think once you start to immerse yourself in anything that you've had some curiosity about, it tends to mm-hmm. you know it tends to proliferate, right? It tends to kind of Absolutely. you get caught up in it, and it can occasionally take you. And I mean, uh, I gotta say, I I was one of my my thoughts is I mean, for people who've been listening to the show for a while, I'm a big fan of the Green mm-hmm. Lantern. Well, the Green Lantern mm-hmm. loves willpower, and all of a sudden yeah. I'm like, oh well, I, what what does willpower look like? And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden I dug in more to that. And then, so what happened was these two, I learned a lot about Green Lantern, but I also learned a lot about willpower. And then what I, what also happens, and this is an interesting thing that, I, that, cause I think these things kind of creep up on you out of nowhere. I'll give you a, a, another example with a guest that we had, Benjamin Hardy, who I know that you, you know, and you've read his mm-hmm. stuff. Um, when the, when the book willpower doesn't work came out, I mm-hmm. was like, wait a minute, hold on a second. What? <laughs> uh, because I had spent time digging into willpower and I read a book literally called willpower, (laughs) you know? So, so I thought, how do I dig into this and make, uh, especially when a, when a book comes out like that, you're like, okay, well this book is basically, um, I wouldn't say it's, it's challenging me. It's challenging my beliefs that willpower, I believe willpower does work. So let me Mm -hmm. dig into that. What are some of the things that you came across in your book where people took on these ultra learning projects or became an ultra learner because they were feeling challenged by beliefs that they held dear or something that they went down the road of and then said, oh, I want to go here now. Like you just talked about. I think that that there's it Mm. it, it just keeps I think I think that that's an interesting story and a different interesting path that people can go down. Well, definitely. So, okay, I'm not sure if it's exactly what you're looking for, but a a really interesting case that I thought was um, well, there's lots of stories about people who have because of the ultra learning projects made big pivots, not often because you know, while I'm, I'm really going to show why this person is wrong, but, uh, you know, but I, I would say that, uh, like an example of, of kind of what you're talking about is, uh, Diana Faisenfeld, who's a New Zealand woman who I got a chance to work with a little bit in the course of writing this book. And she was a librarian and she was kind of finding that, you know, she's, she's in her fifties. Her, her career is kind of nearing its ending point, but at the same time, she's finding that like, librarian, that kind of skill set is becoming undervalued. Budgets are getting cut. It's getting harder and harder to stay around. And what was really inspiring for me is that she turned it around. And so she made these sort of ultra learning projects to learn uh, statistical programming. So the language R as well as data visualization and completely flipped around her perspective with her career. So now she was able to do what librarians really are doing more now, which is kind of taking all of this data that's coming in about books and things like that and being able to make it comprehensible for people who are making decisions in the government. And I just thought that was a really fascinating case of someone taking something where, hey, the ship is sinking a little bit and turning it into an advantage. And uh, the stories of people who have just exploded with skills, like, I mean, I mentioned Tristan de Montebello and his world champion win, but he really went into it with, I'd like to learn some public speaking. And now doing public speaking consultancy is his full-time career. So it completely changed his life in ways that he wasn't expecting. Yeah. As, as we're going through this, um, I was thinking about my start with my journey mm-hmm. and I know it's, uh, I was, my, before I started doing productivity, I was doing productivity parody. I was taking my comedy knowledge and apply and, and I had, for those who don't know the story, I was watching a, uh, uh, the uh, edition of the Colbert Report, and mm-hmm. I thought, and I was trying to balance all these things out. I'm like, I'm, I'm studying these productivity things, and I dig deep. Like I was looking at things like the Time of Your Life program and all that stuff, mm-hmm. that you, Tony Robbins stuff, and eventually I meshed those things together. So it's very like similar in that when you go, 
um, you can marry those interests. Uh, I think it's, I think, so why does at this point, why does this book matter now more than, than ever before? Cause I think that there is, there's definitely a place for it. And even when people say they don't have time, Oh, I don't (laughs) have time. I can't make time. This book matters. Why does it matter? So one of the things that I looked into is looking in some of the kind of general trends that are going on in the world. And one of them is that, well, we all hear about inequality rising, particularly in the United States, but this is also true of Canada and other developing countries. And uh, the MIT economist David Autor has studied this and finds that there's actually a little bit of a more nuanced picture than that. So what is happening is an effect he calls skill polarization. So what's been happening in the economy is not just inequalities rising, although that is true, but rather what is happening is that at the top end of the income spectrum, we're seeing inequality ballooning, whereas at the bottom end, there's actually a compression going on. And so what you can kind of imagine that being is if you imagine the income spectrum and you just take the middle and you just sort of push it out to the two extremes, that's kind of the right way to think about it. And if you think about what's going on with computers and automation and AI and everything that's going on with uh, technology these days, it kind of makes sense that professions that used to exist and gainfully be employed, like bookkeepers and uh, and travel agents and librarians and these kinds of medium skilled work are starting to become less uh, valued professions because we have software to replace a lot of those roles. So when you had to do bookkeeping with a pencil and paper, you needed a lot more bookkeepers than when you had Quicken or, or some right. of these other softwares. But at the same time, this hasn't been the case that, well, jobs have just disappeared. New jobs have arisen, but they tend to be more complicated and more difficult. So they require being an expert at Excel rather than just knowing how to use a pencil and paper. And even existing professions that are in the higher skilled category are getting more complicated, more technologized, and more uh, difficult to do. And so the ultra learning paradigm I want people to think about here is that a lot of our assumptions about how you need to do things to succeed are based on a generation that just really the reality no longer exists like that. So it used to be, okay, you get a college degree and you go work your job and just the things you need to do in your job are enough to stay ahead. And now I no longer believe that that's the case, that what's happening is you get on your job and you're learning your entire career or you're going to become obsolete. And so really ultra learning is not just some frivolous activity for people who have lots of time on their schedule to learn useless skills. This is an essential survival tool and indeed a thriving tool to get ahead and actually succeed in this new world of work. And so the examples of people like Diana Faisenfeld or I, another guy I studied, Vishal Maini, who was able to convert his career from one to another by doing this kind of project, that this is really a skill that you need to invest in. And yes, it's true that most people don't have time to invest full time in learning an ultra learning project, but you're going to be doing a lot of learning regardless. So it makes sense to know how to do that well. And even if you're only spending, you know, a couple hours a week to improve those skills, it better be invested wisely or you're going to be wasting a lot of that efficiency and struggling to keep up. And I think that's a really key point is that anything, whether you're trying to adopt a new time management framework, whether you're trying to mm-hmm. become an ultra learner, bit by bit, step by step. Don't try to do it all Absolutely. at once because that's that's a recipe for disaster. So just so that people know, the etymology for the word ultra is beyond <laughs> beyond is the or extreme we'll go with beyond yeah. but it could work both ways and you know i've when i when i started to go through the book i realized that i was you know kind of embodying some of the principles that you mentioned in the book mm-hmm. and 
it's it's a fantastic read for people who uh, are familiar with your work. They're gonna they're gonna really dig it, and for those who aren't familiar with your work, they're gonna they're. I mean, and you, it's 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 really well written. Thanks. There's lots of great tactics in there, and I can't I I, I can't recommend the book enough. Ultra Learning, oh, master so hard much. skills, outsmart the competition, and accelerate your career. Uh, Scott, uh, and 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 by the way, a foreword um, by James Clear, who's also been on the show. And there, mm-hmm. there's a guy who has said, you know, bit by bit, step by step, if there's anybody that said that, it's James, right? So there right. you go. Um, anything that you want to close out with that people could, uh, they're, they're, they're ready to, they're ready to start. Um, they're going to pick up the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they pick up the book and they start to go through it, what's one message that you'd like to convey as an author, you know, vocally so that they can you know, right. start this journey in the best way possible. Well, I, I picked the title of ultra learning to hopefully inspire some people, but I know for some people it might sound a little stressful or scary. So the main thing I want to say, and I think you brought it up so brilliantly before is that this is about improving a process that you're going to do every moment of your life. So learning impacts every facet of your life, even if you never step into a classroom again. And so I think it makes sense to understand that process. And I believe this book will help you do it. Where can they pick up the book, Scott? So they can get it at any major retailer, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, for the other Canadians, Indigo, it will be available online and, uh, hopefully also in uh, as many bookstores as we'll stock it. But of course that also depends on people reading the book. Scott, thanks for joining me today on the productivity podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. So happy that I was able to have this conversation with Scott. You can check out everything that we had to say in terms of the relevant links and some of the key takeaways. Just go to productivityist.com slash podcast 256 to make that happen. And again, if you want to make sure you don't miss a single episode right in that URL, there's going to be a player and you could subscribe to the podcast right from within that player. Uh, again, there are over 250 episodes in the back catalog and plenty more to come. So I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, either using that website page, again, that's productivityist.com slash podcast 256, or wherever you are listening to this podcast right now, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever, Overcast, which is my podcast app of choice, uh, wherever you're listening to it, don't miss a single episode and be sure to check out the back catalog that we have. There's a lot of learning to do uh, and a lot that you can do, ultra learning especially, uh, by just here, binge all the episodes. There you go. There's some ultra learning there. So I encourage you to check that out. Big thanks to uh, Scott for joining me on the show today. Big thanks to our sponsor for this episode, which is the UCI Division of Continuing Education. Remember that that fall quarter is coming up and registration's open. So visit ce.uci.edu slash productivityist and then enter the promo code timecrafting to get 15% off of one course. You're going to want to make sure you take advantage of this offer now because it's only valid until December 31st, 2019 at 11.59 p.m. So again, ce.uci.edu slash productivityist, enter the promo code timecrafting, and you'll get 15% off of one course. I'd also like to thank the producer of this podcast, John Pulse, for putting these together, my team for helping me assemble all the guest stuff and show notes and everything in between. And I want to thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Mike Barty, the host of the Productivity Podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. See you later.